0: Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by YCharts. Go to YCharts.com, find the contact button, tell them we sent you. When you sign up for a new subscription, you get 20% off your initial sign up.
1: Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: One of the reasons that we like Charts is because they make our job easier and they send us research ahead of time before we even have to ask for it. And so they sent us last week, what happens to the markets over the past 35 years when the Fed cuts interest rates because the Fed just cut rates last week. And they show what happens with a 25 basis point cut and a 50 basis point rate cut. And it's kind of interesting. So they show they look one year out. And for the 25 basis point rate cut, they show the, what do you call it? The Morningstar style box. So value and growth in small, medium, and large stocks. Pretty much everything's up relatively big after 25 basis point cut on average, but a 50 basis point cut, almost everything is down looking out a year. So here's my take. Go ahead. In the 25 basis point cut, they're up like anywhere from 10 to 20%. And in the, in the 50 basis point cut is down from five to 15%. I think the 50 basis point cut is almost like an emergency measure that you're doing when things are already really bad. And you're probably heading towards or in a recession. And so even a year out, it's kind of hard for stocks to be up, whereas a twenty five basis point cut, that's just kind of dipping a toe in the water and things are probably still okay and that's why stocks are up usually. Let me ask you a question.
1: You think a twenty five base point rate cut is like mid cycle stuff, whereas fifty is holy shit, we need to do something, and maybe it's like pushing against a string? Yes. It's By the way, yeah. I have never said that I've never said that phrase out loud, but this I feel like
0: that was a good Are you one. saying the Fed is out of ammo? Or behind the eight ball? <laughs> it's uh. Yeah, I, I think that's probably got to be part of it is that when they get to 50 basis points, that's when they're really reacting and or overreacting or or maybe they've already missed the boat and it's there's nothing they can do. But I mean, don't you think – I'm of the belief that the Fed only raised rates in the first place so they could just drop them eventually just to show that they're doing something. Does it really matter? I mean, was this the ultimate sell the news thing? Is that what happened?
1: I don't know. Are you, I, I didn't know you were –
0: wait, I did, I did not know that you were a Fed truther. <laughs> I know well, how am I a Fed truther.
1: Well, isn't isn't that conspiracy theory Ben right there?
0: What's a conspiracy about it?
1: They raise rates only to lower them.
0: Yes, my my I, I think the Fed.
1: Let me look at me. Let me Fed. ask you a question. <laughs> okay, how much gold do you own?
0: <laughs> you're you're the gold owner here, not <laughs> me. You take physical storage. I think that the fed doesn't have as much sway as some people would like to believe and that they don't they don't know the direction of interest rates or inflation better than anyone else as much as they would like to that so i think the fed just doesn't know as much as people like because they change these rates all the time and they're trying to guess what's going to happen in the future and, and i think that a 20, I mean honestly does a 25 basis point rate change in your savings rate or a mortgage or the 10 year treasury it doesn't matter that much to you
1: not to the individual but to the everybody yes maybe it does
0: no way it's all psychological well,
1: this, then, all
0: right, but isn't it? I mean, I mean, it is kind of funny that it was like five or six months ago, people were predicting six percent rates, and now the ten years well under two percent. Long term Treasuries are at like two point three percent. I pulled up this other chart from Y Charts. Since November, the TLT, which is the long term Treasury iShares Bond ETF, is up almost twenty two percent. So there's a bull market always somewhere, I suppose. But it's crazy how. The Fed was raising rates for two or three years straight, and now they're immediately just, all right, forget that. We're reversing course. Well, They don't know anything. No one knows anything.
1: So last Wednesday, the Fed lowered rates. I think stocks made an all-time high that day or the day before. And then they swiftly fell, whatever, 3%, 4%. And then over the weekend, we got this yuan devaluation news. It's kind of crazy that there's like obviously a ton of – headline risk right now. And it feels like...
0: Wait, wait, wait. There's always headline risk. Stop it. No, there's not. Yes, there is. Okay. But is it louder than
1: others sometimes? I mean, come on.
0: (laughs) What what, what do you you mean? Eh. I don't think so. I think people look for justification and maybe stocks had run up a lot in the last four or five months and they needed a reason to sell off. Let's use this currency thing. But what
1: you just said doesn't refute the fact that sometimes there's more news than others. This news from China is big. Bigly, some would say.
0: Okay, five years from now, there's no way in hell you're going to remember this China news. No way. So false.
1: So false. I remember August 24th, 2015, very clearly. And now I will you, remember.
0: You, you blogged about this. I have no recollection of that happening the first time. None whatsoever. It didn't impact me in any way.
1: Midwestern elite. All right, let's move on.
0: Okay. No, say your currency thing. Come on. You sound like you were winding up there for a minute.
1: I forgot what I was going to say. What was I going to say?
0: About how this is the most important day in stock market history. <laughs> this is the this is the demarcation line. And from now on, all right. So speaking of haircuts, since the Fed just cut rates, you called me last week. And I slacked you and I said, I can't talk now. I'm getting a haircut. And you said that I was bald shaming you because yeah. you can't get haircuts anymore.
1: I've seen it a million
0: times. And I came out of the haircut place and I immediately said to you, this kind of reminds me of our fund manager debate we were having because I'd say I don't pay a lot for haircuts because I get a haircut like once every three or four weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on it. I go to one of those chain places that's right across the street from my office. I don't really care if they mess it up. I'd say five out of six are good. One out of six, I get a faulty haircut, but I don't care because you get what you pay for sometimes. But I'd say 45% of the people cutting my hair at these places don't have a good haircut themselves. And like, do you think th- is this is like eating your own cooking as an investor? Like, Shouldn't someone who's cutting people's hair for a living have a decent-looking haircut? I know they don't cut their own hair, probably. This is shtick. No. Okay, I've got a point here. So you wrote about the CFP thing last week, and they talked about how a lot of these people, the CFP doesn't talk about the fact that a lot of these financial planners with a CFP have declared for bankruptcy. Okay. And so with with a person cutting you hair, you can see that bankruptcy on top of their head, right? With a CFP thing, <laughs> <laughs> you can't see that. Right? And so oh, man. that's where you my know- thought went. And so so do, uh so Right? It says it right there. Uh, my haircut is bankrupt. <laughs> and so so I I, I was wondering like and you wrote about this, like, does this disqualify someone from managing my finances if they're bankrupt? Not necessarily, but it would be something that would be nice to know. And so I thought about, <coughs> I don't know if you remembered this from a few years ago. So when Carl Richards' book, The Behavior Gap came out, he wrote he wrote about it in the book and he wrote a piece in the New York Times about how he his, him and his family got caught up in the real estate bubble in Las Vegas. And he was very open and honest about the fact that they got over their skis, they borrowed like 100% for, of the home's worth. And they couldn't make their payments. They had to stop making payments and do a short sale. And I think it was actually a good thing for him to put it out there and tell people, like, listen, this can happen to to me too. And he's now like the financial advisor to advisors themselves.
1: Okay. So what's the point slash
0: question? I'm saying, do you, do you think it matters that people in that situation are oh. just open and honest about it? Or should yes. most of them hold back? And
1: I just think that the, the, the consumer should know. Right.
0: That's, yeah. I think it's
1: case by case. And just that's all. The consumer should know.
0: And even in my, in my instance... I know that this person has a bad haircut, but do I I sit down in a chair. Do I say, I don't want you cutting my hair because I see a blue you know, streaks in your hair and it's jagged.
1: This is giving me flashbacks. There's nothing worse. Well, I should. There's there's a few things worse, but for me this is pretty bad. Being like 21 or 22 however old I was. <laughs> And getting a haircut and the barber holding up the mirror in the back. be like, do, do you like it? Do you like it? Yeah, I love it, asshole. Thank you. This is great. This is
0: fantastic. Best haircut I've ever had.
1: Yeah. Here I'm like dying inside. Yeah, no, yeah. it's great.
0: Thank you. No, I actually put it back on because you totally butchered me.
1: Well, I didn't have that option, Ben.
0: Okay. All right.
1: So you wrote a piece called The Big Lie in Personal Finance where you uh, – I didn't realize that you, you were such a, such a saver. Your parents I, gave you 20 bucks a week for food and you made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches?
0: Pretty much. I was one of those people that always stashed cash for some reason. I was, I, and I think part of it is like, that's just the way that I was, that I was like brought up and that, that I was like hardwired for. And I think some people just aren't hardwired to do that.
1: But here's my point. The, the, one of the takeaways. You said, uh, I used to be one of those people who secretly judged others for their poor financial habits. Now I see the error of my ways. People do like spend shaming quite a bit. I bought a Peloton, 39 months, 0% APR. Why would I not do that? Well, assuming that I wanted one in the first place. But here's – hold on. Here's, So why am I saying this and putting myself out there to get spend shamed and body shamed? Uh, <laughs> social proof. I feel like if I talk about this and I still don't do it, then I'm totally hopeless.
0: But – I don't think our listeners have got an update on your – But wait. Hold, hold on. On Michael's just, fitness levels lately but, either.
1: I, I had a total dad-cat bounce. You, you called it. But – the
0: point is,
1: you are one of these people who can save money, who can go to the gym. Oh, look at me! I go to the gym. Good for you, Ben. <laughs> I need a kick in the pants. I'm not a self starter that way, so I'm putting it out there.
0: Oh, I agree. Got pal- I think some people like I've seen this analogy in the past. Where why do the best golfers in the world or the best basketball players need their own trainer or their own dietitian or a coach or whatever? Accountability. Right. Some people just need that, and I no, I think it's great. I'm just I love the idea of picturing you in spandex with a headband on on a Peloton that
1: Well, you'll you'll see
0: it. So, but I, are uh, we going to be taking mortgages out from Peloton in the future? Is that where we're headed? That's pretty crazy that they do 0 per- but as we talked about uh, offline, you said, "Listen, I'm looking at this like a gym membership because you're paying a monthly what 65 bucks So, it's, or it's
1: 65 bucks and then plus like whatever, 40 or 50 for the for the thing. But here's it's really another not question. Not that bad when
0: you put it that way. S-
1: so, I haven't like sweat from physical activity in like i don't know 5 years although i did get some good exercise in the garden this weekend i'll tell you that much okay but so what price would you put on physical fitness and and feeling better about yourself is there no, a huge. price that's too high no like would you would you pay 10 grand a year
0: yeah if it works then certainly do it it can add years to your life can make you happier it, yeah it make you feel better about yourself i totally agree
1: all right so ben a few weeks ago you nailed it i i scoffed i made fun of you but you were right. And I'm here to say that.
0: I appreciate I asked this.
1: you I, – I, I. do you know where I'm going with this? Yes. Okay. I asked you how you knew that there was no like Silicon Valley of Japan and you said, I don't know, facts. And I was like, what facts? What do you know? Turns out you were absolutely right. Japan has only one unicorn and it's the third lar- – the world's third largest GDP country, only one unicorn. So there's an article in Fortune somebody shared with us. Basically, the gist is that they're doing like a Y Combinator thing. Or maybe that's not true. Somebody's doing a venture capital fund. Happens to be the brother of Masayoshi son who's doing this.
0: I think I was probably right. I was probably right for the wrong reasons. Just the only reason I said that is because you just never hear about it. I mean, that was the whole worry in the 80s is that Japan is going to take over the US. But you just don't hear about a lot of technology or big startup companies coming out of there. And apparently they want to. But I mean, do you think it could ever happen where they're going to try to do Silicon Valley of in other places? Doesn't it have to be organic? I feel like trying to do that somewhere is just never going to happen or never work.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. All right. I don't think that we realize this, but I think last week was our 100th episode, or was it two weeks ago?
0: Yeah, it's hard to tell because we've had these bonus episodes as well, but we we totally missed the boat on that one. Yeah, so we're we're right around the We're Will Ferrell in old school where he forgets that his birthday happened.
1: Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody emailed us saying like, why don't you guys do like a Noob Whale t-shirt or something like
0: that? Because someone pointed out to us last week that if you Google Noob Whale, our picture shows up, which is great. Well, it, it's it's funny in a couple ways because it's funny that you'd think like if you look up Noob Whale in the dictionary, you see a picture of these two idiots. But it's also funny because we've somehow turned that word into our brand.
1: <laughs> so we went on 99designs and we found a really good designer. I don't want to give too much away, but she's making a Noob Whale shirt for us. So what we're going to do with that money is give it to the Fisher House organization. So they provide housing and accommodations for veterans' families who are undergoing medical care away from home. And so we're going to be doing that. I don't know how long it's going to take to get them made, but just wanted to put that out there. Stay tuned for that.
0: It's a 2019 project for us. Hopefully soon if we get this design. Yes. And we have a few veterans on our staff and we thought this was really good organization to give to. So you can not only wear a new wheel t-shirt and represent the animal spirits brand, but also help some people out too.
1: Yeah. Help us and and also help the veterans more importantly. All right. So in Barron's this weekend, there was uh, an article, the case for cash now. And BTIG's chief strategist was talking about, quote, this suggests perhaps the biggest bubble in history. German 10-year boon yields at minus 0.4%. 100-year Austrian bond yields at 1%. Okay, that one is kind of insane. And so on. So UK guilt at 0.6% recall some of the history's great investment bubbles. Among those, of recent memory, the Japanese stock market in the 1980s, the dot-com bubble in the 1990s, and US residential real estate in the previous decade. Can you really compare negative yielding bonds to the Japanese stock market bubble? So let's say that you lend to Germany at minus 0.4%. Let's say that you're a, a local investor. And okay, if rates go up to two percent, yeah, the price of the bond is going to get crushed in the short term. But over a ten-year period, you're going to get your money back, right?
0: Right. There's there's no way that bond bubble in no way or form can be anything like a stock market bubble. Yeah. So
1: it's, it's just it's just a ridiculous comparison.
0: Unless every government in the world defaulted, which guess what? They're not going to default on a negatively on a negative interest rate bond. That's not going to happen. So
1: I just think that these compare. I mean, is this sort of abnormal, not sort of, this is very abnormal and hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, I don't get it. And you know what I also don't get now that we're on this? I don't get monetary policy there. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get
0: how it works. Okay, so taking this back to our discussion from last week, we had a little debate. Will we ever see negative interest rates? I think here's a different way to frame this. What would surprise you more from current levels? Negative interest rates in the US or 6% interest rates? Because I think at this point, I'd be more surprised by 6% interest rates.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Well, maybe negative, maybe I'm a neg- m-
0: momentum trader here.
1: But well, negative is a lot closer, so. This is true. All right, Ben. How's this? Article in the Wall Street Journal. Diapers promising to soften babies behinds and digitally track their sleep are hitting the market. Billed as parental aids, the new products are also helping the biggest diaper maker lift prices. So baby births are falling. They were down 2% to a 32-year low.
0: Ah, so they're losing money and they're trying to figure out a way to charge more.
1: So here we go. Kimberly Clark in July rolled out a Huggies line called Special Delivery, which is made from plant-based materials, comes in black packaging, and costs roughly five times the least costly diaper on the market. Are you kidding me?
0: Okay. So you have a new, you have a new baby coming soon. How, did, how do you pick your diapers? Because here's how I pick them. We get the cheapest ones there are. Because, I mean, we had twins. We, were, we went through a lot of diapers.
1: Okay. I'm a brand snob.
0: I use Huggies. Okay. I mean, what do we use? I don't know. So, loves maybe, but I it's mean, not just that.
1: But PNG is is partnering with Google, so this is literally beyond diapers.
0: Yeah, there's no. So this says they're going to develop a tech infused diaper system that includes monitors and activity sensors that track when babies sleep and go to the bathroom, sending alerts to parents' phones. No way do you want to know this? It's like,
1: too much. And I didn't realize that the diaper industry was a duopoly. PNG and Kimberly Clark account for eighty percent of the sales. Break them up.
0: Well, you know what the, the best ones to buy are now? The Amazon brand. Those are the cheapest ones. So you get them on Amazon Prime, They send them. So uh, I want to give myself a little pat on the back here since I have twins. People complain about this. I could probably, if they had a contest, fastest diaper changer in the world or fastest parent who could take one of those car seats in and out of a car. I'm basically like a NASCAR pit crew at this point. I can do that that fast. I could pretty much do it with my eyes closed. Just saying.
1: Uh, video or it didn't happen.
0: But you do this so often. That, like, trying to buy a, a nice diaper makes zero sense. Like, we had some friends who tried to use the cloth ones. They were gonna save the environment by using cloth diapers. Do you know how gross that is with how much babies secrete fluids? It's Ugh, like secrete
1: <laughs> is a gross word. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's pretty bad. But yeah, this is, uh, I, I guess they can see the demographic rating on the wall here, but pivot here, for idea for one of these firms. They need to go all in on adult diapers because all the geriatric baby boomers are going to be aging. That's where they can pivot their business.
1: How? No. Both moved at the exact same time?
0: No. Coincidence? What? Something happened with Bitcoin?
1: Well, such a noob whale. I can't even talk to you.
0: All right. Sorry. I, I don't track it that closely.
1: This might be the lead of the century. And by the way, if only there were sign of froth in the market. With that, I give you this. In the world of wellness, it seems that nothing will stop humanity from punishing ourselves in ways as complicated and embarrassing as this mortal coil will allow. With that, I give you a Bitcoin accepting, CBD gazpacho serving, gym slash members only bar owned by Tony Robbins, Pitbull, and the guy who founded the Learning Amex.
0: I think the best part of this is not just the lead here, but the picture. So it shows like these attractive people sitting at a bar, and there's one dude with his shirt off, and he's got oil all over his body, and they're having drinks. At <laughs> I just... <sighs>
1: So there's a bar with low-calorie workout beer, cucumber kale juice, with Pipple's Voli vodka and CBD infused martinis. If if this isn't the top end, I just don't know what it is.
0: It sounds awful. The CBD don't. Uh, the CBD thing is something that's totally over my head, but
1: by the way, literally like articles like this are what people are going to tweet in, in whenever the next session
0: yes. happens. Sa- save this only. One.
1: Yeah, if only there was a sign.
0: So there. So in some of the smaller towns in northern Michigan that we drive through, they still have. These family video places where you can rent literally rent movies, like they still exist somehow. I don't know how they haven't gone out of business. Wait, and what? I think I missed that. I'm sorry. They still have like re- it's like a family video is like a, a smaller regional blockbuster type of chain that are still open where people actually go and rent movies in these smaller towns, and all the signs now say we serve CBD here. So they're trying to pivot from the movie business to selling CBD. So I don't know. I the, one of my favorite comparisons for CBD was it's the balance bracelet of the 2010s. Remember those balance bracelets that you wear like a metal bracelet? You'd buy it at like one of the kiosks in the mall. And was supposed to give you a better balance because it's this bracelet that... I don't know. I missed that one. I like that. Okay. Anyway. So the New York Times has this new graphic where you can type in your zip code and then you type in your income and then you guess... Are, you give your age and then you talk about, do you think I'm... How rich do, I, do you really think you are in the top 10%, 25%, 50%? I don't know. And then it spits out the income levels by where you're where you're based. And they did a study on this and they showed the percentage of Americans who think that their income makes them wealthy and the percentage of that, that don't know. They said more than a third of the respondents in the 90th percentile, so the top 10% of income, they, they define rich here by income, which we could debate, but that's how they used it. More than a third of the respondents in the 90 percentile described their income as average compared to general Americans, which is pretty crazy. And this is segmented out by where you live as well. So it's not like you can compare someone in San Francisco to someone in Iowa or whatever. They also found they did this by country. They found the vast majority of respondents thought they were lower on the income ladder than they actually were. So this whole idea of perceived wealth, people constantly think that they are less, they make less money than they actually do compared to other people.
1: We spoke about this a few months ago. There was a study that showed that people on the lower end of the income spectrum tend to think that they're better off than they actually are. And people on the upper end, it's the opposite. Because right. people on the upper end live around people that have more than them. Right. And people on the on the lower end, they're just fortunate with what they, you know, are just thankful for what they have, generally speaking.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of fun to go, not maybe not fun, but interesting to go through this article and see where you sit depending on where you live and what your income is.
1: And the the Wall Street Journal had an article: families go deep in debt to stay in the middle class, and they probably quoted three families, and like, it gives their income and everything, and their jobs and their names. And where do they find these people? And why do these people give quotes? Are they be are, are the people in these articles paid to appear?
0: Maybe this is like a survey thing where they reach out to people and say, "Hey, are you in this cohort? Reach out to us."
1: But what's the incentive? I'm asking: is there a monetary exchange?
0: Oh, I think everyone wants their 15 minutes, and if you hear I'm going to be featured in the Wall Street Journal, then. It's kind of like, why does someone sign off the waiver to be on cops and have their face shown instead of blurred out, right? They they want to be seen for doing something, even if it's getting arrested. These people okay, are good point. the financial media's version of cops.
1: But this is just, it's so weird. Imagine showing somebody like, hey, we make this much and look, we're in the newspaper. I don't know. Just weird. But I agree. So, so again, the headline was families go deep in debt to stay in the middle class and then buried like... 13 paragraphs into the post was, counting all kinds of debt, including mortgages, consumers aren't nearly as debt burdened as they once were. In the fourth quarter of 2007, the last year before the financial crisis struck, households devoted 13.2% of their disposable income to debt service. In the first quarter of 2019, that number was 9.9%.
0: So this is another denominator blindness thing where they say household debt has never been higher but oh, by the way, incomes have risen and so have assets. And so it's really not as bad as it seems just because it's higher than it's ever been.
1: So I wanted to ask you this, your thoughts on this. And they presented this as if it was like a catastrophe, uh, uh, but, but I don't necessarily know that it is. So it spoke about a family that is renting, even though they have a decent income. The number of households that have inflation-adjusted annual incomes of $100,000 or greater, but are renters, nearly doubled from 06 to 2016. Hmm. Is that is that such a bad thing?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good I mean 2006 is the height of the real estate bubble, so I'm sure a lot of people did it maybe they lost their home or they just decided this is not for me. No, I think that's a great thing. I've I've always been on the thing that the kick of not everyone probably has the wherewithal to be a homeowner and they really have to think it through. So that's that's a good thing, I think.
1: I thought I thought they would think that. And then also and not something that we've been speaking about with the cars lately. One of the reasons why it's been a struggle to maintain a middle class lifestyle, they say, is because the average new car price. This surprised me. This is really high. The average new car price is thirty seven thousand dollars.
0: That's because everyone's buying SUVs and trucks these days. Bring and back minivans. M- yeah, well, bring back the sedan. If I could so, drive a if I could drive a Honda Accord with three kids and three car seats, I totally would. But it's never gonna ha- it's not gonna happen for me for a while.
1: So you asked me if you should see The Irishman. I mean, I'm sorry, if you should read it.
0: Yes. Because do you think I, I should read it before the movie comes out?
1: Okay, so I read the book called "I Heard You Paint Houses,"
0: and see. I actually it, think that would have been a better movie title. Yeah, because that—that's a great line.
1: So you know, people and I, I probably have been guilty of this. Like, oh, the book was so much better.
0: Yeah, I do that all the time. Um, we, ha- we had this discussion here. How many times uh, is right? the movie? Actually, how many times is the movie actually better than the book? Not very often.
1: Well, you think this has letdown potential? I'm all in. I I disagree with you, but.
0: Here's here's why I think I have let down potential. I think that the trailer looked good and it had the great music like dun dun whatever it was, dun, you know. But I have yet to see a movie on Netflix that was made by Netflix that that has been like, "Oh my gosh, that movie, you have to see it, it was amazing." There has not been that's that's my only worry. This one has Scorsese. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. But counterpoint. De Niro, Pacino, Pesci are, are what are they? 75 years old each? Like can they still bring it? I hope they can. I love those guys. But I'm j- I think this has letdown potential. I think there's 35% chance this thing is a letdown.
1: It's different this time. I'll say that.
0: Okay. So, well, but should actually, I re- should I read the book will it make my experience better? That's what I'm asking you.
1: Okay. So, it was a very good book, but I would say no cuz the the movie's coming out in a few weeks.
0: Okay. When does the movie come out? September? Okay. 24th? How about if I, I don't know. like if I don't like the movie, I'll read the book.
1: Actually, if you, What? Okay. So Al Pacino was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And speaking of disappointment, oh my god. Now, I will you. didn't caveat, like it at
0: all? I hated it. Oh, really? Huh. Did you see it? No, I didn't. I mean, I never go to the movie theater anymore.
1: Okay. I went Friday night at what, 9.30. What am I, a maniac who
0: goes to the movie by myself?
1: I went Friday night at 9.30. I went on a date with myself. The movie theater was 90% empty. And I qu- I fell asleep twice. And I had to like Google, like, does something happen? Because really, nothing. Wow, it was it was ninety seven percent nothing, and then three percent over the top uh, violence. But I will say this: I was not the intended audience because that. period – Here comes the hedge.
0: Here comes the hedge.
1: <laughs> well, because yeah, I'm gonna, I don't. You know, I want to take it.
0: Okay, the, no, that's that.
1: That period in Hollywood is obviously before my time. And I was talking to Josh about this morning because he liked it. I I thought it was unwatchable. You know how they – in in, uh, in Inglorious Bastards, they killed Hitler. It was like an alternative history. Yeah. Same thing happened with oh, – I don't want to give it away. But it just wasn't for me. Like I couldn't relate to anything that was going on. That was before my time. A lot of the movies and actors in the background, I didn't know who they were. And the, the cast was loaded. Pacino was in it. Luke Perry was in it. It was the final thing he did before he passed. But – I will never see this movie again. I'm not gonna give it another shot. I don't I don't need to. It was I th- I found it very hard to watch. And I you get sent me that your that...
0: you sent me a review on Slack on the weekend and you said you gave it a negative six point five.
1: Yeah, I stand I stand by that. I, I get that like the acting was good and the and Pitt were great and whatever, whatever.
0: But Okay, I'm I'm with you on the I can never just because the acting's good, but the story or the plot or the action is no good, like I can't I I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah,
1: I'm not I'm not that big of a film buff. Like I don't go for the acting, I go for the for the story. Right, I okay. think I think I think uh, a good story can overcome bad acting, but not vice versa.
0: So I think at some point you're going to have to give us a review of the difference between a movie theater in Brooklyn and the difference of a movie theater in the suburbs, because oh, it's well, got to be night and day. Right, it's got to be really yeah. Okay,
1: so I, I listened to uh, Jonathan Clements was on the Long View with Christine Benz and Jeffrey Batac.
0: Yes, I listened and, to that as well.
1: And and one thing that stood out to me was like he was talking about how they were talking about retirement and. Uh, and he said that his dad retired to Key West. And it's a great, he basically said it's a great place to go for three or four days. It's a horrible place to retire to.
0: I, I like that, that idea of it sounds great when you, when you visit somewhere, but it's, it's, it sort of loses its luster after a while. And I think I would be the same way. I'd probably go nuts living full time in a place that people come and go and vacation.
1: I think so too. That's all I got there.
0: Okay. Here's a stat of the week that was flying around Twitter. As little as 3% of the global population flew in 2017, and at most, only about 18% have ever done so. Do you think this is a survey?
1: What percent of the people that never have flown can do a push up?
0: (laughs) Crossover. So it says according to the International Civil Aviation Organization estimates, there were 3.7 billion global air passengers in 2016, and every year since 2009 has been a record breaker. So obviously, there's people that just fly all the time and repeat passengers. But with that many people flying, really only three percent. Does that seem low to you? Ridiculously low. It's kind of uh, so. The point was, you know. Well, aren't
1: there like a billion or two billion people living in poverty?
0: Yeah, I'm probably closer to two or three. So I guess that that kind of cuts cuts it in half almost right there. But yeah, that one kind of surprised me.
1: So refine There was an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about refinancing how it accounted for roughly half new mortgages. I actually, I'm an idiot. Yesterday, I I was thinking about it's like, wait a minute, should I refinance? Because rates have, even though I just got a mortgage, rates are down so much. So I like, I, I sort of w- w- knew it was dumb at the time, but I put my information into like this calculator and I got like 30 phone calls right away and they won't stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whoops. So how how far below ra- are rates from where you got in? Because you you, uh, you you were asking me, is there a rule of thumb? The rule of thumb that I've always heard is basically, I mean, you, you do the break-even calculation on your closing costs. But the rule of thumb I've always heard is basically one percent. That's kind of when it makes sense to to do something. Okay,
1: so I'm not I'm not not quite there yet, but it's 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 within spitting distance.
0: So if the Fed can manipulate a recession for mortgage rates to go lower, you can refinance. Is That we that where we're rooting for now.
1: I'll I'll have to default to my house, but
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be totally worth it. So friend of the show Julian Hebron at the basis point put a. Story out called. Everyone's missing the end game with Amazon's real estate referral deal with Reology. And by I, the I, way, I, I by the way,
1: us. I love how you act like, oh yeah, Mark was looking for reasons to sell. This is no big deal. It's just noise. Oh yeah, noisy McNoisemaker. The Dow is down six hundred thirty-five points. Okay. Well, what's your point? This was a this is a particularly noisy headline weekend.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Stats don't I'm fall six
1: hundred. The Dow doesn't fall yes, six hundred and forty points because it, c-
0: it's. Because it's looking for a reason to sell. The stock market is crazy. We went down 20% in two months in the fall for no reason. And then Not guess what? We hit, we hit, no way. Then we hit new highs two months later, and everyone forgot what happened. And now guess what? We're going to have another 10% correction, and everyone's going to freak out, and then we're going to get new highs again by the end of the year, and everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, forget about that. Now this is the one that's going to, I don't know. This happens. I'm, well, I'm sticking with it. Well,
1: of happens. All right. Sorry, okay. you were saying?
0: So there's a company called Rheology that owns Coldwell Banker, Th- Sotheby's, and Century 21. And they're partnering with Amazon called this Turnkey Program. And so if you answer these questions through Amazon, the Rheology agents will contact you, you sell your home to them, or you or you buy your home through that agent, then you get up to a $5,000 credit from Amazon to spend on home devices like Alexa, That's a lot Amazon of Home Services. Yeah assembling furniture. And you and I both know we've moved in recent years. It's very expensive when you move. Not only the moving costs, but you have to buy a bunch of new stuff for your house, get rid of stuff. $5,000, I mean, that basically covers your closing costs right there. And it sounds like these companies are all relatively small in the grand scheme of things, but why wouldn't you do this? If, if all the, if all else is equal in terms of the commission rates and all that stuff, Amazon is just looking for a way to get get you in the door and buy stuff from them. I mean, this is this seems like a layup, right? Not
1: knowing the details, it definitely look, sounds uh, like it's worth is looking there, into.
0: Is there any industry right now that Amazon would go into that you'd be surprised?
1: Like the, sand, the sandwich industry. Good one.
0: But I mean, if Amazon went into healthcare, or let's say they got into banking or investing and they did index funds, any of this stuff where they can just freak out the current people who run the show. I I mean, none of it would surprise me at this point, right?
1: What I was doing with that sandwich industry, I was trying to give you a a lifeline to segue to the next topic.
0: Yeah, I got it. I just didn't want to take it. All right. So someone put out a study. These are the most popular sandwiches in America. And they asked the percentage of people who really like or somewhat like the following sandwiches. Number one was grilled cheese, which was at almost 80%. I'm not a grilled cheese guy. I I thought people stopped eating grilled cheese at like age 11. Like,
1: yeah, like obviously I don't, I'm not anti-grilled cheese, but did if they you pull have, an
0: elementary I'll, school for this, number two, so if, you have, gr-
1: if you have a grilled cheese, I'll take a bite, but it's not my favorite
0: sandwich. Number two is grilled chicken. You know, what's an overrated one here. BLT, whoever gets, Trip. who's, who's ever satisfied by BLT.
1: My wife gets BLTs.
0: Bacon is something you put on another meat. It's not its own meat. I right? agree. Bacon's an addition.
1: I'm also, I don't like roast beef, but that's just personal preference. By that's the way, they also have, high.
0: they have a bacon sandwich on here. Not even a BLT, just bacon. Who has bacon a, as that just a like, sandwich?
1: That sounds British. I don't know. Oh no, that's ham sandwich. Who has a bacon sandwich?
0: Here's here's what they missed on here. No Cuban. Where's
1: the Italian?
0: Are you oh, kidding that's me? True. Oh, no Italian. That's true. Wow. Wait,
1: wait. I have to ask. Was this a survey? I mean, obviously it was.
0: It's got, yeah, it's got to be. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's not great. Tuna's at sixty four percent. There's no way sixty four percent of the population likes tuna sandwiches, right? I'm, anti-tun- I'm anti-tuna.
1: I gave Kobe a bite of tuna yesterday, and his whole body shook, and he spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tuna's, yeah. Ugh. Um. Yeah, but- okay. So we've spoken about this, but we haven't spoken on the show because it looks so like ridiculous to complain about this, but there's all of these tweets that list like 15 people, and it's like, who did I miss? And obviously, the, the people doing this are trying to get retweets and they're succeeding so that I guess they get their follower count up. But I'm starting to think that literally it's Russian bots or something like that. It's got to be.
0: It's like three or four of them a week now.
1: Yeah. it's just, And it's literally the same list every single time. And it's just very bizarre. So somebody wrote back, somebody responded, somebody who was on the list responded, I'm not a financial thinker, LOL.
0: <laughs> Stop the misinformation. I don't get it, but Twitter's a weird place, so but there was
1: there' was another one today. it's just it's it's constant
0: so for my recommendations this week, I was going to talk about Bill Simmons had Kara Swisher on who she's part of the she started at recode. She used to be at uh, Wall Street Journal. She's a heavy influence on the tech media side of things. She does a pivot podcast with scott galloway she's very I think she's very good and very insightful. And they talked about social media platforms that could go away and they'd be a net positive to the country. And they both agreed that Twitter is number one by far. And this got me thinking because I think like our little community of finance Twitter is exceedingly helpful for the people that use it the right way. And it's not really that negative. I don't think there's a lot of sniping going on. There's a lot of subtweeting, but it's not that bad. Whereas things like politics, Twitter is, can be pretty nasty. And then the media, Twitter can just be this crazy echo chamber. But that was kind of surprising to me, and I think one of the problems is when you get to that the level of them where you have maybe millions or hundreds of thousands of followers, you are getting just taken apart at, at, at all, all times by people who are reading your stuff, and there's always negativity. But I was yeah, I was a little surprised by that that they wouldn't think Facebook as opposed to Twitter.
1: Yeah, I would think uh,
0: mainly because need- I'm a Twitter fan.
1: My knee reaction would be Facebook, but I guess we don't really see the Twitter the way that everybody else does. Like, I wonder, do you think that most people are on Twitter as just civilians, or do you think it's like pockets of Twitter, like media Twitter, finance Twitter, movie Twitter, basketball Twitter?
0: I guess it's hard to say because, like we were talking about last week, it's so concentrated at the top in terms of people who get the most engagement. There's probably so many people on there that you just don't realize. But what do you do when the topic of Twitter comes up with... You said civilians, but just normal people who aren't in our finance circle.
1: It doesn't. I don't, sp- I don't spend time with
0: anyone. <laughs> that's true. You go to the movies by yourself. So.
1: I mean, it's it's great. I, I don't put myself in a position to have any conversations with anybody other than you, uh, Josh, and Robin.
0: <laughs> it's not a, that's not a bad place to be. I've been making the, the comment for a couple of years now that I've been proactively trying to whittle down the number of friends that I have in the world. and And not because I'm antisocial or anything, but just because... It's it's just when you have kids and stuff, it's it's hard to do, right? It's hard to keep these things. going. So if you're
1: a friend of Ben's and you're listening, it's it's not you,
0: it's him. But the great, I have this conversation. I don't know, once a month, you see someone at the grocery store or at like my one of my kids' t-ball game or something. They haven't seen in a while since college or whatever. Hey, we need to get to get together for, for beer sometime. Yeah, I'll call you. And we both know we're both thinking to ourselves, like that's never gonna happen in a million years. Like we just know that, right? But we still play along. Okay. Listener questions: What large prog- projects are you guys working on now? Any second books in the planning stages? I'd be curious to know if you have any, how they are going, and how the topics are different from your first books. This was a timely question because I just, I guess, a month ago handed in the first draft of my new book called "Don't Fall for It," which is a and sh- a short. In the subheading is a short history of financial scams. I don't know how I really got into this, but
1: it was good. But you could probably wait for a paperback. <laughs> <laughs> thanks
0: yeah I think you're the only who's read the whole thing so far and I, I have a few editing things to go on it before it, it's done but I have a cover picked out and I think it'll be out in January February 2020 ish publishing business takes a while to get these things out for some reason and I think one of the reasons I, I wanted to do some sort of a different one than the first one is because I, I think it was interesting when you were doing all the research for years it kind of gave me the bug to want to do something different like this
1: yeah and I, do, do you think this is the last traditional book you're going to write or is that premature?
0: Premature, but uh, you and I have talked for a while now about trying something different. And I think maybe if we put it out there on the podcast, it'll lead to us actually doing something. But I think we started Ah, talking about- The the
1: old social proof.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm I'm trying to take a page out of your book here. So you and I have been talking about it. We, We first brought this idea up when you were finishing your book and you were basically exhausted from that process and said, I need a break. And then I got into my book, so we put it off. But we want to do-
1: By the way, your endurance is incredible. I can't believe you're ready to write another one with me.
0: <laughs> wait, Just wait. Once you get that Peloton going, your endurance is going to go through the roof. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's it's my fitness
0: levels that aren't keeping up. So we want to do something that... We have all these ideas for a book, but we said, you know what? Writing a book is kind of a pain in the ass. It's, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of back and forth, and we really like the podcasting format. And think... I mean, to be honest, just not a lot of people buy books, especially nonfiction. It's really hard to get a big book going in terms of getting a big audience. So we thought, what if we did sort of a slash between a book and a podcast? And that's one of our ideas. We've got two kind of big ideas floating around, but that's something that we're working on. I think now that my book is almost done, we're going to actually push forward and do this where you and I do a podcast book, where it's a book idea that we'll be doing in podcast form.
1: We haven't really looked into the technology of this, but we were thinking like one chapter a week, a dollar a chapter type of thing.
0: Yeah, something something easy, and we'd have a discussion on it, and it would be all research that we put into place. Something like a hardcore history of.
1: So we're going to do the research as if we were getting ready to write a book. We're just not going to actually write. We're going to have all this research and bullet points, and we're just going to talk the way that we do in the podcast. That was sort of the idea.
0: Yeah, so that that's something we'll do. I think we could probably do one of those a year. Maybe that's ambitious. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa, whoa. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, sorry. Maybe I just future me is probably going to be. Sorry, I said that, but Jeez. I think it's I think it's possible. I mean, shorter ones in the future. We've got two big ideas. We could do shorter ones in the future. Okay. How about you? Are you? Was that your first and only book? The only one? You're done? Who knows? Never seen need, ever.
1: I mean, I have I I have no I, no desire to do that again. Currently, like
0: right now. Maybe things will change, but it's not a fun process. Recommendations for the week. Anything else besides? Uh, uh, yes. So wait, I thi- one, one question. Go ahead. What was better? Crawl or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood?
1: That's not even... I mean, that's a, that's that's insulting to crawl. <laughs> okay. Those alligators uh, were fantastic.
0: Okay. Probably had more action. Okay. What else you got for recommendations?
1: We spoke about the Russell Crowe show last week, The Loudest Voice. Yeah. Doubling down.
0: Okay. I still have to get into it. It's on my list.
1: I've seen two episodes of Euphoria. I'm in. Really? Yeah.
0: I still don't it's know if dark. I can do it. It's
1: it's very very dark. So if that's not really your thing, then stay away. Okay. But yeah, it's it's if you're into that sort of thing, then absolutely dive in.
0: Okay. I started Raised in Captivity* by Chuck Klosterman. Oh, how is it? It's good. It's so it's his. It's a collection of short stories. I'm not good so sure. Butt. I'm not so sure I'm into the short story idea. Each each ch- chapter or story is probably I don't know six or seven pages, and I feel like reading fiction. I want more character development, and he, he it's uses all
1: fi- it's all fiction.
0: Yes, they're all short stories, meaning that he just it's it's fiction, and he uses the stories in a in kind of an interesting way to make points about the cultural to, of today. So there's some really interesting points that he makes, in some of them, like especially about how there's a really good one about how every generation sort of moves forward a little bit, and the older generations all hate them. So there's a couple good ones, but I think if I'm reading fiction, I want more character development and get to know the stories a little bit more, and they're almost too short for me. But it's good because he's a good thinker. I rewatched Wedding Crashers this weekend. Not going on a limb here. Holds up. I think the first 60 minutes of that movie, I think it kind of dies off at the end. The first 60 minutes of that movie might be the best comedy of this century. It's very good. And I totally
1: agree. It it definitely dies off. The
0: the last time, it's the last time Vince Vaughn had his like 90 mile hour fastball. And he is... I mean, he just brings it. And I was dying the whole time. It's been a long time since I've seen it. This one has been flying around finance Twitter for a while, I think, for or at least in the last month for recommendations. I can't remember who I saw, but Alchemy by Royer Sutherland. And I've heard, few, heard him on a few podcasts. He's a marketing guy in the UK who's got a really interesting way of thinking about it. So it's a really good behavioral one through the eye of consumerism. So he says, modern consumerism is the best funded social science experiment in the world. And he's a very counterintuitive kind of behavioral person. And so he talks about driverless cars. So he says, some scientists believe that driverless cars will not work unless they learn to be irrational. So he says, if such cars stop reliably, whenever a pedestrian appears in front of them, pedestrian crossings will be unnecessary and jaywalkers will have to march, will be able to march into the road, forcing a driverless car to stop suddenly at great discomfort to the occupants. So he says, to prevent this, driverless cars may have to be angry and occasionally fail to stop and strike the pedestrian on the shins. Like, so he's thinking about these problems like two or three stages. Into- it's kind of interesting. His, his brain is, is pretty interesting. So that's one of the better behavioral ones I've read in a while.
1: Dow's down 700. <laughs> All right. I can't, believe st-
0: I can't believe you're still quoting the Dow in points. I, I never know, knew you were a Dow know. points truther. You knew I was. Yeah, that's true. Uh, honestly, most days of the week, if you told me what is the Dow at in points, I'd be able to give you a... I, I wouldn't be able to get it in a stone's throw. I'm sorry. A show off. Okay. All right. Okay. So, Mr. Smart Guy, the, these bad headlines stick, stick around for a month. Does that mean we're going down 20%? Is that what you're saying? Because the headlines are that bad?
1: I have no idea where the market's going. All I'm saying is that sometimes the news matters and you're, you seem to think otherwise.
0: I think sometimes investors use the news as an excuse.
1: Sometimes they do, Ben. Sometimes they All do. Right.
0: All right. Agree to disagree, as they, sh- as they say. All right. Send us an email, animal spirits at animalspiritspod at gmail.com. What do people say in the end of podcasts? Subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on... Why do people say it at the end of podcasts? You can find us on Apple, Spotify. Like y- you, you can find us you where, you're, where you're listening. listening. Yeah, yes. I don't get it. I always want to say that, but maybe they're just meant to say that. All right. We'll talk to you next week.